Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. Today, I want to uh, throw out the idea to begin with that we tend to focus on what we think we need at the moment, but Jesus always knows what our real need is. Only he can provide it, and he has. Now, he wants us to become aware of that. I'm going to teach real quickly through most of John chapter 4. We know it as the story of the woman at the well. And you're going to find out something today as I finish the end of the scripture and then we talk for a little bit. You're going to find out something today that I would guess maybe only one in a hundred of you were ever aware of before. And it's going to be very meaningful to you. So hang with me. Here we go. John chapter four from the Passion Translation. The news reached the Jewish religious leaders known as the Pharisees that Jesus was drawing greater crowds of followers coming to be baptized than John. Although Jesus didn't baptize, but had his disciples baptize the people. Jesus heard what was being said and abruptly left Judea and returned to the province of Galilee. Now, to get there, he could have gone the long way like any self-respecting Jewish person would and not go through Samaria because Jews thought of Samarians as half-breeds, as dogs, as absolutely worthless, as despised by God, and they didn't want to have any contact with Samaritans at all. But Jesus wasn't like that, of course. Jesus loved, accepted, and enjoyed everybody. So he just took the direct route and went right through Samaria. Jesus arrived at the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son in the Old Testament back in Genesis, given to his son Joseph. Wearied by his long journey, Jesus sat at the edge of Jacob's well. He sent his disciples into the village to buy food because it was already afternoon. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink of water. And she was totally surprised. No Jewish man would ever relate to a Samaritan woman. They would cross to the other side of the street if there was a Samaritan, let alone a Samaritan woman walking along so they wouldn't have to even be in their shadow or look at them or acknowledge them in any way. Women had no value in the society that day to most people. They certainly did to Jesus. And here Jesus interacts with and relates to a Samaritan woman. He said, give me a drink of water. And she was surprised. Now, she was there at noon because, as we learn later, she was a woman of ill repute. The respectable women of the city would come to get water early in the morning when it was cool, and they would come together and they would talk and enjoy each other's company and do whatever they did on the way there and back. 
But she had to come in the middle of the day when it was really hot, when nobody else was there, because she'd made some poor decisions in her life, and she was looked down upon, shunned, degraded, ostracized, made fun of by the other women. She didn't want to experience that. So she said, why would a Jewish man ask a Samaritan woman for a drink of water? I mean, she's totally surprised. Jesus replied, if you only knew who I am and the gift that God wants to give you, you'd ask me for a drink. I would give you living water. The woman replied, but sir, you don't even have a bucket and this well is very deep. So where are you going to find this living water? Do you really think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who dug this well and drank from it himself along with his children and livestock? Jesus answered, if you drink from Jacob's well, you'll be thirsty again and again and again. But if anyone drinks the living water I give them, they will never thirst again and will be forever satisfied. For when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit springing up and flooding you with endless life. The woman replied, well, let me drink that water so I'll never be thirsty again, so I won't have to come back here to draw water. Jesus said, Go get your husband and bring him here. Uh, But I'm not married, the woman answered. That's true, Jesus said. You have been married five times, and now you're living with a man who's not your husband. You've told the truth. The woman said, "Um, you must be a prophet. So, changing the subject, she said, tell me this. Why do our fathers, the Samaritans' fathers, worship God here on this nearby mountain, but your people teach that Jerusalem is the place where people must worship? Which is right? Jesus responded, Believe me, dear woman, the time has come right now when you won't worship the Father on a mountain or in Jerusalem, but in your heart. Your people don't really know the one they worship. We Jews worship out of our experience, and it's from the Jews that salvation is made available. From here on, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but with the right heart. For God is spirit, and he longs to have sincere worshipers who worship and adore him in the realm of his spirit and in truth. And I want to just quickly go to 1 Corinthians six seventeen. The one who is joined to the Lord and that's all of us, is mingled into one spirit with him. And the footnotes there in the Passion Translation say the Greek word kaleo, K-A-L-L-A-O, means to unite or to knit or to weld together, to mingle, to join together, to make two into one. The one who is one with the Lord's spirit is one with the Lord. The woman said, ah, th- th- this is all so confusing, but I do know the anointed one is coming, the true Messiah, and when he comes, he'll tell us everything we need to know. Jesus said, <laughs> you're looking at him. He said, you don't have to wait any longer. The anointed one is here speaking with you. I am the one you are looking for. At that moment, the disciples returned and were stunned to see Jesus speaking with the Samaritan woman. Yet none of them dared to ask him why or what they were discussing. All at once, the woman dropped her water jar and ran off to her village and told everyone, come and meet a man at the well who told me everything I've ever done. He could be the anointed one we've been waiting for. 
The implication was, here's a man who knows everything about me, and you guys know a lot about me, and it's not good, and he still accepted me. Hearing this, the people came streaming out of the village to go see Jesus. Then the disciples began to insist that Jesus eat some of the food they brought back from the village, saying, Teacher, you must eat something. But Jesus told them, Yeah, don't worry about me. I've eaten a meal that you don't know about. Puzzled by this, the disciples began to discuss among themselves, Somebody already bring him food? Where did he get this meal? Did he call Uber? What happened? Then Jesus spoke up and said, My food is to be doing the will of the Father who sent me and bring it to completion, to do God's will and bring God's will to completion. Now, I got to ask you today and myself, did he do that? Did Jesus do God's will and bring it to completion? He did. When he said to telestai, that means it is finished. It's done. Look at these verses about what God's will is. 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. God, our Savior, Paul writes, wills that all men be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's will. God is all-powerful. Do you think God's will comes about? Oh, but Pastor Paul, you know, God never violates our free will. Really? You've been taught that. I was. Is that true? Can you show me anywhere in Scripture that it says that? Of course not. Now, God does give us limited free will here on earth to make decisions, what we're going to eat today, all these kind of different things like that. But ultimately, and the most important thing of all, spending eternity with God, God's will is that we do that. We don't have the power in our will to override that. Come on, quit thinking you're that important and that powerful. Second Peter 3, 9. Peter says, God is not willing that any perish, but that everybody should change their mind about God, realize who he is, how good he is, and rejoice and live in that. Jesus himself said in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. That's what God told him to do. That was God's will. He did it. John 17, 25 and 26, night before Jesus died. Jesus says, all those who believe in me know that you, Father, have sent me. I've revealed to them who you are, and I will continue to make you even more real to them so that they may experience the same endless love that you have for me. For your endless love will now live in them even as I live in them. So that's what God's will was, for Jesus to come and seek and save that which was lost, people's lost understanding of who God really is, and to reveal who the Father really is, to bring us all to him. And Jesus, of course, is ultimately successful. All right, back to John 4, verse 35. As the crowds came from the village to Jesus at the well, Jesus said to his disciples, well, what would you say? The harvest is another four months away. Look at all the people coming. Now is harvest time, for their hearts are like vast fields of ripened grain, ready for a spiritual harvest. And everyone who reaps these souls for eternal life will receive a reward. And those who plant spiritual seeds and those who reap the harvest will celebrate together with great joy. This confirms the saying, one sows the seed, another reaps the harvest. I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. Anyone 
who reaps these souls for eternal life will get a reward. Those who plant spiritual seeds and those who reap the harvest will celebrate together with great joy. We're going to look at the end of this of someone who planted spiritual seeds and reaped the harvest and is now celebrating continually with great joy. And this confirms the saying, Jesus said, one sows the seed and the other reaps the harvest. He said, I've sent you out to harvest a field that you haven't planted, where many others have labeled long and hard before you. And now you're privileged to profit from their labors and reap the harvest. So, verse 39, there were many from the Samaritan village who became believers in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. Remember that, the woman's testimony. He told me, everything I ever did. Verse 40. Then they begged Jesus to stay with them. So he stayed for two days in a Samaritan village, staying with people who were unclean, according to Jewish law, resulting in many more coming to faith in him because of his teachings. Then the Samaritans told the woman, This lady, this woman of the night who slept around, who'd had five different husbands and now was living shacked up with the guy who wasn't her husband. The Samaritan said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you told us. Now we've heard him ourselves and we're convinced that he really is, get this, the true savior of the world. Greek word is cosmos, meaning everyone forever true savior of the world. Now, here's some takeaways from this story. Jesus never condemned this woman at all. He knew all about her, and he loved her and did not condemn her. She was unspeakably untouchable, like not even on the radar of someone who mattered to Jews, and Jesus was a Jew. But Jesus saw her, loved her, didn't condemn her, even though he knew all about her, and loved and accepted her. See, Jesus always listened to Papa and didn't said what Papa said to him to do. I'm confident that Papa said to Jesus, don't go into town with the guys to get food and stuff. Have a seat here at the well. Do what I say. We'll see what happens. This is oneness in action. Jesus, empowered by the Father and the Holy Spirit, listening to them, doing what they ask him to do, relating to this woman as no one had ever related to her in her life. And then the experience she had was amazing, meeting the Savior himself, being accepted by the Savior himself, being given living water. She came to carry back a bucket of heavy water for her and the guy she was living with and whoever else was there. I don't know if they're kids or whatever. Uh, She came to get regular water, and she'd have to come back again and again, but she got living water that lasts forever from Jesus. That experience she had with Jesus trumped all the belief that she had in her religious belief, trumped all of her belief about God, herself, and the others, and it trumped what the villagers believed about her. Now, Jesus chose her to reveal himself and Papa and the Holy Spirit to. He chose the 12, and he chose us, and he accepted her. Now, here's the rest of the story. And I just learned this a week ago. It's been true since the story happened, but I just learned it from Brian Simmons, the translator of the Passion Translation. I heard a great teaching by him. Do you know the woman at the well has a name? Well, of course she has a name. Everybody has a name. But her name wasn't written in the Bible. But it's written in church history. 
big time. Her name was Fotini, P-H-O-T-I-N-I. Much of her account's not featured in the Bible, but it is available in the writings of early church history. After she met Jesus, she went and told everybody in her town that she'd met the Christ. Most of the town was converted. She converted her five sisters, and together they all became tireless evangelists for Jesus. Now, you can search the internet and find a lot of interesting stories about her, including she was named an apostle of Jesus by the other apostles. They considered her to be one of the inner circle. I was always taught the inner circle was three, Peter, James, and John. They considered her to be equal with one of the inner circle apostles of Peter, James, and John. It was Peter, James, John, and Fotini. She went down in the history as the first New Testament evangelist to win an entire city to Christ. She became part of Jesus' group of people, part of his apostles, disciples, not only part of them, one of the four in the inner circle. Now, you know, of course, why that wasn't included in the scripture records that we have and why church history no longer talks about it. I mean, it's obvious, right? It was a male-dominated society that did not want to give women any consideration of having accomplished anything. She just was written out of most of church history. But now, because of archaeological digs and things that we've found and different things, and because of the Internet, we know her history. Now, she went around with her five sisters, other people in her family, and other members of her group after Jesus died, converting whole towns and cities all over the place to Jesus. She was one of the leading evangelists of the day. Then during the reign of the Emperor Nero, her oldest son, Victor, fought bravely in the Roman army against barbarians, and he was appointed military commander in the city of Attila in Asia Minor. Well, later, Nero called him to Italy to arrest and punish Christians. He was to serve under a guy named Sebastian, who was an official in Italy. And Sebastian, Sebastian liked him, and he called Victor aside right when he got there, and he said, look, Vic, I know that you and your mother and your brother, you're all followers of Christ. As a friend, I advise you to submit to the will of the emperor. If you inform on any Christians, you will receive their wealth. And I'll write to your mother and brother and ask them not to preach Christ in public. Let them practice their faith in secret. Victor said, yeah, well, thanks, but I want to be a preacher of Christianity like my mother and brother. Sebastian said, oh, Victor, we all know what woes await you and your mother and brother. Then Sebastian suddenly felt a sharp pain in his eyes. He was dumbfounded, and his face was somber. For three days, Sebastian lay there blind without uttering a word. On the fourth day, he declared, the God of the Christians is the only true God. Victor said, Sebastian, what changed your mind? Sebastian says, because Christ is calling me. He was baptized, immediately regained his sight, and Sebastian's servants who witnessed the miracle will also 
baptized. Then Fotini and her ministry team arrive in Rome. Well, at Rome, Emperor Nero ordered that Fotini and her group be brought before him. And he asked them whether they truly believed in Christ. They said yes, and they refused to renounce the Savior he asked them to. He gave orders to take all of these women and beat them with rods and smash their finger joints, which the Romans did. During the torture, they felt no pain, and their hands remained unharmed. Nero ordered that Sebastian, Fotinus, and Joseph, the men, be blinded and locked up in prison. And Fotini and her five sisters were sent to the imperial court under house arrest under the supervision of Nero's daughter, Domina. During this time, Fotini converted both Nemina and her servants to Christ. She also converted a sorcerer who had brought her poisoned food that was meant to kill her. Three years passed, and then Nero was busy with other things, and then he sent to the prison to get one of his servants who'd been locked up, and the messengers there reported to him that Sebastian, Fotinius, and Joseph, who had been blinded under Nero, had completely recovered, regained their sight, and people were visiting them to hear their preaching. They said, indeed, the whole prison's been transformed into a bright and fragrant place where God is glorified daily. In a rage, Nero gave orders to flay the skin from Fotini and to throw her down a well. During the time before that happened, many of the others were brutally tortured and martyred. Fotini had been thrown down the well and locked up in prison. She was removed from the well, locked up in prison for 20 days. He threw her down this well, but she didn't die. And her skin, which had been flayed, was perfect. Nero had her brought to him then and said, will you now relent and offer sacrifices to pagan idols? She spit in his face and laughed at him, said, Oh, most impious of the blind, you profligate and stupid man. Do you think I'd be so deluded that I would consent to renounce my Lord Jesus Christ and instead offer sacrifices to idols as blind as you? Well, Nero flew in a rage. He gave orders to throw her down a well again, this time tied around a big rock that would drown her, and she drowned. It's ironic that the woman at the well with Jesus was martyred in a well. She definitely received her full portion of living water in her ministry, her testimony, and for all eternity. Well, now you know the rest of the story about the woman at the well, a woman named Fotini. I encourage you to spend time in quiet, alone with Christ who is in you, and ask him to reveal to you what he wants you to know about that particular story, that particular passage in John chapter 4, about his friend and chosen one, a member of his inner circle that's a little bigger than we thought, about the woman Votini. Ask him just to explain to you, to say to you, what he wants you to know and realize, what he wants to reveal to you from that. Thank you all for listening. Appreciate you being with me. I'll see you next time on the next episode of Grace to All with Paul Gray. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group. 
grace to all, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.